I want to invite you to open with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1 and uh, Acts chapter 16. Philippians chapter 1 and Acts chapter 16 is where we will be uh, this morning, Philippians 1 and Acts chapter 16. Uh, but before we, we get into the Word this morning, um, how many of you have been paying attention to what's been happening in Louisiana with the hurricane and, okay, one, two, three, four, okay, okay, okay. Um, really heartbreaking scene there. Uh, and I want to just let you know about a giving opportunity that uh, you, you may feel led to, to give towards this. Uh, one of our, my, my dearest and closest friends in the whole world is named Pastor Ben Bufkin. He's from Living Word Church in Houma, Louisiana. Uh, this is his church there. And his church has become the, one of the main center points of relief efforts that's happening in that whole region right now. They're south of New Orleans. I don't know if you know that there is something south of New Orleans, but they're a little bit south of New Orleans. Uh, ben was here this, uh, not, not 2021, but in 2020, he was here and preached at our missions conference. I've been there at their church, preached for him. And again, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people in that community are totally devastated. Um, about 700,000 customers are still without power in that region. That's, that's not 700,000 people, that's 700,000 households. So we're talking about millions of people still without power. Uh, they've been without power for an entire week. Many of them are, are without clean water. Uh, ben called me last Sunday in the middle of the hurricane. He, he stayed there, he stayed at the church. Their staff, church staff stayed there uh, to basically minister to the people in the aftermath instead of evacuating, and so that's where they are. They, they've, they're receiving relief, and they're passing it out, and they're helping people. So uh, Ben called me last Sunday in the middle of the hurricane. He said, I've lived here my whole life. I've never seen a hurricane like this. This is the worst I've ever seen. Pray for us, pray for us. And so uh, thankfully, the Lord sustained them and brought them through the storm. Thankfully, there, there, ha there was not a catastrophic loss of life, but now in the aftermath, it's just uh, total devastation. And so um, if you'd like to give towards this, uh, you know, I, I know when, when things like this happen, we say, well, what can, I, what can I do? Well, of course we can pray, but we can also give. And if you give towards this, it goes straight to them and straight to relief efforts, straight to water, straight to food, and they will pass it out straight to the people. No red tape, no bureaucratic nonsense. 100% of what you give will go and will be a blessing to the people in that community. So you can give by uh, marking it on your uh, envelope, just hurricane relief, or on your check, hurricane relief, something like that. And then on our website too, on our online giving, you can go and there's a, a on the drop down, you can give towards uh, Hurricane Ida relief. And uh, they're having church this morning. They're having church right now. Um, he, does, he didn't know if anybody was going to come, but he said, we're going to open the doors and, and we're going to have church. And so, um, yeah, let's just keep them in prayer as God's really using them uh, to be a blessing to that community. And of course, we know the government is going to come in and, and mess everything up as they do uh, and, and help. But how, how much better it is to receive help in the name of Christ for the church to rise up and the church to be a blessing. And so that's way that, a way that we can be involved in that. So however the Lord would lead you, not trying to pressure anybody or twist anybody's arm, but if, if the Lord's put it on your heart to give, you can, you can give towards that and we'll send it straight to them and it'll be a blessing in the name 
of our Lord. Okay, so Philippians chapter 1. Uh, last week we started a brand new series walking through the book of Philippians together. We'll be in this series for several months. Uh, last week, well, why don't we just read the passage uh, that we're going to look at again today. We'll talk a little bit about last week and then we'll move forward this morning. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that it would be uh, having an impact in our lives. It would be effectual in our lives today. Lord, your word says that the grass fades and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Lord, that as, as times change, as seasons change, as as, as governments come and go, Lord, your word stands the test of time. Lord, trends change, uh, styles change, things go in and out, but your word is eternal. And so, Lord, I pray that you would be the one speaking to us. Lord, as I'm lifting up my voice to proclaim your word, Lord, that it would be your voice to your people today. Uh, that we would receive and that we would hear from you. Lord, we even remember Pastor Ben, Lord, as he's meeting with his church right now. Uh, Lord, that you would be with them, that it would be a special time. Lord, that you would uh, use him to minister, to touch lives in that community. Lord, people that have lost everything, God, I pray that they would truly find that if they find you, they found even more than that they've lost. Lord, that you would even use this devastation to bring people to salvation. And Lord, that you would give Ben boldness to lead in this time. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we looked at this passage and, and we really focused in on, on Paul. Who was Paul? We, we, we saw that where he came from, that he didn't start out at a good place. He, he started out as a persecutor of the church. And we looked at how God had saved him, radically transformed him. And how God had called them out of darkness into light and, and called them to be an apostle. And so this morning as we continue on in this passage, it says that Paul is writing and he's writing as a slave of Christ to the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. Now as Paul continued on in his walk with the Lord, he, he became a missionary. He, he didn't just stay in one local church for his whole life. Though he was a part of the church in Antioch, he, he would leave for, for years at a time to go and to, to preach the gospel to people who had never heard, to go into cities he had never been to before. And he became a church planter, a church planting missionary, traveling from town to town, planting churches. He would stay in that town as long as he could. He would stay and, and disciple and train the new believers in the Lord. But often he couldn't stay there very long as opposition would arise against the gospel, as persecution would arise. He would be forced oftentimes to flee for his life and he would go to the next town and begin preaching the gospel there as well. Now by my count, looking at the book of Acts, looking at the letters of Paul, I say that Paul probably planted around 20 churches in his lifetime. Probably planted around 20 now, many of those churches, in turn, sent out other missionaries and planted other churches. But of the 20 churches that Paul, about 20 churches that Paul planted, this church in Philippi was a special church to him. It had a special place in his heart. His, his relationship to this particular group of believers, to the saints in Philippi, 
It was unique. It was different from the churches that he had planted and from, from the many churches that he was in fellowship with. And we can see this as we examine, as we will examine this letter that he wrote to them. Now, as Paul sits down to write this letter, it's been about a decade or so since he planted this church. A lot has happened in that time frame. Paul is not a free man anymore. In fact, as Paul sits down to write this letter to these believers that have a special place in his heart, he's actually a prisoner. He's not a free man. He's in confinement. He's in prison in Rome. And, and the future that he faces is somewhat uncertain. But as he sits there in this jail cell, as he reflects upon these Philippian believers, his heart overflows with joy. If we look at verse 3 and 4, Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. In verse 7, he, he goes on to say, it is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. As he goes on to say in verse 8, he says, For God is my witness how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. As we flip to the end of the book, if you'll flip to chapter 4, verse 14, he, he, he begins to give some insight onto why he feels so so with, feels with so much joy and love towards the Philippians. In verse 14 of chapter 4, he says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. How many of you know sometimes you need a friend who's there who can share your trouble with you? Amen? Verse 15, he says, You Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel... When I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, Thessalonica you sent me help for my needs once and again. Paul says that none of the other churches supported me the way that you supported me. None of the other churches partnered with me the way that you partnered with me. None of the other churches prayed for me and, and thought about me and encouraged me the way that you did. These Philippians, they, they have a special place in Paul's heart. And I want to look at that today. I want to examine the, the, the story of, of Paul planting this church. As, as We're going to spend the next few months looking at, at the, the letter that Paul wrote to them. I think it'd be appropriate to, to look at the story of Paul planting this church in Philippi. And so flip with me now back to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. And what I find interesting is that of all the, the churches that Paul planted, of all of the, the places that Paul went, Philippians, this, this church plant in Philippi, gets the most attention. It gets, in, in the book of Acts, of all the different churches that were planted, the Philippian church has the most color, if you will, added into the story. And so we're going to look at this story. We're going to read it. I'm going to read it all the way through. It is a little bit of a longer passage. 
And then we'll come back through and we'll, 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 we'll pull some principles out for us uh, today. But this, this is Paul's second missionary journey. He's been a Christian now for, for several years. And Paul, as he was traveling on this second missionary journey, he attempted to go into Asia, but the Holy Spirit forbid him. We see that in verse 6 of chapter 16. Again, in verse 7, they wanted to go into another region and they were forbidden. And so they're, they're basically, their back is up against the sea. They don't know where to go because the Holy Spirit's telling them they can't go anywhere. And in verse 9, it says, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. She was demon possessed. And she brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Now Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very moment. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone... They couldn't make any money off this slave girl anymore because the, she was not demon-possessed. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they, they had brought them in front of the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. 
And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these things to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now, go in peace. Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Now I know that's a long story. I know there's a lot in there. But I think you can begin to see why it was that Paul had such a special place in his heart for these Philippian believers. What had happened in this town was unique. It was unusual. And it started with a vision. It started with Paul trying to go into Asia, Asia Minor, which now we know is, is where the city of Ephesus is. And we know that Paul eventually went there on his third missionary journey. But for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit forbid Paul to go on this second missionary journey. It wasn't the right time. And so Paul is, is basically backed into a corner, doesn't know where to go, but he receives a vision in the night. He, he sees a dream, a man from Macedonia calling out to him, urging to him, saying, come and help us. Paul, gripped with this vision, gripped with this man who, who needs help, sets sail to go to Macedonia. He, he ends up going, of course, to Philippi first, this leading city, this Roman colony, and staying there for a few days. Typically, Paul's method of, of evangelism, of church planting, is the first place he goes is where? To the synagogue. He always goes to the synagogue first, to the Jew first, is, is Paul's mantra. He would typically go to the Jews. They had the Old Testament scriptures. He would go, and from the Old Testament, he would prove that Jesus was the Christ, that Jesus was the Messiah. That was Paul's method. But in Philippi, he doesn't do that. The reason why is because Philippi would have not had a large Jewish population. Philippi is in Europe. This Macedonia region, it wasn't full of a lot of, of Jewish people. In fact, to have a synagogue, you needed to have 10 adult Jewish males. 
The fact that there was no synagogue there meant that the, the population, the Jewish population there was quite small. So he went outside. He went to a place, a, a place of prayer, a place near a river that, that he thought maybe there would be some people gathered to pray. That's why on this banner there's this picture here of this, this river bed, this, this place where there's a river flowing. It, this picture behind me is actually a place in Japan that I've been to several times. And every time I've been there, it always reminded me of this story of Paul and these women and ministering to Lydia. And so he goes out there to this peaceful place, to, to this riverside. And what he finds there is some women. This Macedonia man in the vision turned out to be not a man at all. Turned out to be a group of women. And I think this is significant. I think it's significant that the first people who respond to the gospel message, the first record we have of anyone being converted to Christ in Europe is women. You know, sometimes Paul gets a bad reputation as far as it goes with women. Kind of gets a bad rap. Because Paul is, is very clear that, that the Bible and, and, and Old Testament scriptures, and he continues to teach that men and women are not the same, that they're different. That God created man and God created woman, and they're different. And so Paul teaches that not only are they different, but that they have different roles in the life of a family, in the life of a church. So Paul teaches gender roles. Well, people today don't like that at all. We live in a very egalitarian society, a society, society that's been, um, well, I don't want to get into trouble today, but that's been uh, taken over by Nazi feminist lesbians, basically, is kind of how it's gone. So uh, anyway, you don't have to clap. Don't clap for that. That, was, that wasn't worth clapping for. But the, the so, so the fact that, that Paul teaches that there's certain roles and responsibilities for a husband and a father and a man. And there's also certain roles and responsibilities for a wife and a mother and a woman. And that these roles and responsibilities are ordained by God and they're not the same. This puts Paul in a bad category with a lot of people. And so they, what they do, what people typically do when they don't like what you have to say, they start calling you names. So Paul's been called a male chauvinist. Paul's been called a, a, a you know, a, a, what's the word? Misogynist. Paul's been called, um, you know, anti-women. All of these things. But it's not true. It's absolutely not true. You know, I remember I was in college, not Bible college, when I was getting my secular degree. I was in a computer class. A computer class where they teach you like file, save. Like it was the, like the most ridiculous class, but you had to take it when you went to school. I don't know if you still have to take it or not, but they made me, in, in my day, you know, back when the dinosaurs roamed the earth, you still had to take these kind of computer classes. So file, save as, file, print, learning how to save your files to a floppy disk, you know, all of this kind of stuff. So I'm in this class and, you know, file print, and yes, I know how to type and change the font. Thank you, teacher. And The teacher begins to go on a tirade. The professor goes on a tirade against the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was full of 
stuff I can't say from the pulpit. You know, Jesus had some good things to say, but the Apostle Paul, he was just, he was anti-women. He was a misogynist. He just wanted to oppress women. This, this, this hatred, she goes off on this tirade on the Apostle Paul. And I'm just sitting there like, what does this have to do with Microsoft Word? What does this have to do with Excel spreadsheets? I, I don't understand. But here Paul comes into this town. He finds a group of women, goes to the place of prayer. And what does he do? Does he turn around and say, well, I guess we got to go find the Macedonian man. No. It says he sat down and he began to teach these women the word of God. He began to teach these women and share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul was not anti-women. Paul was not a male chauvinist. Nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, this stands in sharp contrast to the attitudes of the people of his day, of the Jewish people of his day. You know, the Pharisees, as Paul was trained as a Pharisee, the Pharisees had a prayer. They would often pray this, I thank God that I was not born as a Gentile, as a slave, or as a woman. That's what they would pray. Not Paul. Not Paul. Here Paul comes and he begins to tell them about Jesus. He begins to tell them about the gospel. He begins to tell them about how Jesus died for their sins. He begins to minister to them. This passage reminds me a little bit of the story in John chapter 4 of Jesus meeting the woman, the woman at the well. It begins to focus in on one of the women in verse 14, a woman named Lydia, a seller of purple goods, it tells us. She was a businesswoman. The fact that she sold purple goods meant that she was probably very wealthy. Purple dye in that day was very rare. And so purple dye was reserved for the people that could afford it, which wasn't most people. Most people lived in abject poverty in the first century. So the fact that this purple dye is extremely rare, it meant that purple products are extremely expensive. And her business is selling purple clothing. She's in the high-end fashion industry. Something I know absolutely nothing about. A very profitable business. And in fact, at the end of this chapter, we see that the church is gathering and meeting in her home. Before Paul is sent out, he, he gathers the disciples with Lydia in her home and he encourages the brothers there. She had a large enough home to invite Paul in and his missionary companions into the house, a large enough home that the early church in Philippi, the first church, would gather there to worship God. So she's probably a woman of means. It also tells us that she was a worshiper of God. What this means is that she was a, a Gentile who was being drawn to God. She, she had gathered in this place of prayer. She, she had a heart for the Lord. The Lord was drawing her to himself. And here now God brings Paul to preach the gospel, to preach the good news, to preach the saving message of Jesus Christ to this woman who had a heart towards him. 
And look at what the Bible says. This is so important that we see this in verse 14, the end of verse 14. It says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. It doesn't say that Lydia, because she was so smart and she was so wealthy and she was such a savvy businesswoman, she could understand that the gospel really made a lot of sense. No, that's not what it says, is it? In fact, it says that it was the Lord, that's Jesus himself, who opened up her heart so that the word of God could go in and bear fruit in her lives. It was the Lord sovereignly working in her to bring her to salvation. And in fact, we see, we see that it didn't just start here. It started all the way back as Paul was attempting to go into Asia Minor. The Lord said, no, don't go there. No, don't go there. No, don't go there. No, don't go there. Sent Paul a vision. Go to Macedonia. Paul shows up. And then here is this woman that the Lord had prepared to receive salvation. And I want you to know that it's the same for every single one of us today who is a Christian. Every single one of us. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ today, if, if he has saved you of your sins, if you're part of the great family of faith, if you're someone who would call yourself a Christian today, it's only because the Lord has opened your heart to this truth. That's it, friends. That's it. The Lord has opened your heart. The Lord has opened your eyes. The Lord has opened your ears to receive God's word. Salvation is a work of God. The Bible says salvation belongs to the Lord. Jesus taught this in John 6, He said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Listen, if you believe in God today, it's because the Father has drawn you to himself. This is such glorious good news. It's such glorious good news. The Bible says that he has called us by name. Amen. Called us by name. So whatever it is that we must face in this life, whatever suffering or persecution we must endure for the sake of Christ, whether it's alienation from family or friends, whether it's like those in Afghanistan today that are even losing their life. The thing that comforts our souls is that God called me for this. God chose me for this. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm not a Christian today because of some decision that I made. I'm a Christian today because God has saved me. Now every day, because of this salvation, every day I make the decision that I'm going to follow Christ. Every day I respond in faith. Every day I choose to put my faith in Him. But we must never forget that it is a work of God's grace that we are saved. As the story continues, we see that Paul gets annoyed at this lady that's following him around and casts a demon out of her. And that no good deed goes unpunished. For casting the demon out of this slave girl, Paul gets his clothes stripped off his back. Him and Silas, companions, they get thrown in front of the judges, in front of the magistrates. They get stripped naked, 
and beaten publicly with rods. If that happened to me, I, I could tell you that would have been the worst day of my life. By far, that would have been the worst day of my life. That's just kind of a Tuesday for Paul. That's just, you know, just par for the course for him. Beaten with rods. I've never been beaten with rods. I've never been beaten at all. But it says that Paul was stripped naked, beaten with rods, and that they had inflicted, verse 23, many blows upon them. In fact, it tells us that they were beaten and bloodied later on when the, when the jailer sets them free. He, he takes them home and he washes them. He has to bind their wounds. He has to tend to their wounds. They have open wounds that are just bleeding everywhere. They are a bloody pulp of mess. And then they are thrown into prison. And then they're put into the inner part of the prison. And then they're put in stocks. Now, verse 25 says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They're doing so, so loudly that the other prisoners are listening to them. They're putting a concert on for all the prisoners. How could they do this? How is it that Paul and Silas, having just for a good deed been punished, not just slapped on the wrist, but beaten naked with rods, bloodied, thrown into the inner prison, now fastened in stocks, in bondage. How is it that they can be singing songs of praise to God? How can they be joyful? How can they have happiness in their heart? Can we be honest just for a moment? Can we just be honest? We, we wouldn't be doing that. Right? I mean, let's just be honest. Let's be honest, okay? Would, 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 do you think that that's what you would be doing? Do you, do you really think? Put yourself in Paul and Silas's shoes. Would you be singing songs of praise so loud that all the other prisoners can hear you? I know you wouldn't because I see your Facebook posts when people cut you off in traffic, okay? <laughs> I see how quickly you lose your joy when the guy at Taco Bell can't get your order right. Okay? Like, let's just be honest here for a second. How is it? How is it? What's going on in their hearts that we need to learn from? Amen? Here it is. They trusted in God. That's it. They trusted in God. I know that sounds maybe oversimplified. Maybe it sounds too rudimentary. But that's the bottom line. They just trusted in God. That was it. They knew that God was sovereign and they trusted in his sovereignty. They took joy in God's sovereignty. They took joy in the fact that they had been beaten for Christ. They had been beaten for the name of Jesus. They took joy in that. They took joy in the fact that, God, we know that you are ruling and reigning over all people, all nations, all tribes, all tongues, all situations, all circumstances. 
God, if we were beaten with rods and thrown into jail, it's because of your perfect will that we were beaten with rods and thrown into jail. And so we will praise you for being beaten with rods and thrown into jail. They took joy and trusted in God's sovereignty. They knew that God had called them there to Macedonia. They knew that they had done exactly what they were supposed to do. And when you trust God fully and completely, you can have joy even in the darkest times. If you can trust God fully, completely, you can have joy even in the darkest times. Maybe they were feeling a little down. Maybe so. Maybe they were feeling a little bit depressed. Maybe they were just feeling a little bit like, God, really? You couldn't have just saved us a few blows, you know? You couldn't have, they couldn't have left our clothes on, God. Seriously? Maybe they were feeling a little bit like that. But if they were, all the more reason to begin singing and praising God. Listen, when you're down, when you're depressed, when you feel like things aren't going your way, you know what you need to do? You need to do this. You need to begin to sing. You need to begin to remind yourself of who God is. You need to begin to praise God. You need to begin to lift up your voice. Your ears need to hear your voice proclaiming the truth and the goodness and the grace and the amazing nature of God. How can we praise God in the midst of hard times, in the midst of dark times? I'll give you three reasons why. Number one, we praise God for who he is. Period. End of story. Who he is. God is holy. We we spent several weeks talking about that. Because God is holy, it means God is worthy. God is worthy of praise no matter what is going on in our lives. No matter what happened at work this week, no matter what happened in marriage last year, no matter what happened in your job 10 years ago, no matter what happened when you were a little kid, listen, God is worthy of praise because God is holy. Amen. And so we praise God for who he is. It's what he deserves, whether we feel like it or not. I'll be honest, I live in the flesh just like you do, okay? I'm skin and bone, right? I, I, I'm hungry, I'm tired, I'm angry, I'm, I get annoyed at people the same way as you, okay? But, don't, don't clap for that, but, <laughs> there's, and so there's times that I don't feel like praising God. I don't feel like it. Guess what? It doesn't matter what I feel like. God is always worthy of praise. Always worthy of praise. Because of who he is. Because of who he is. We've been, we've, we've bought the lie, I don't have time to go into it, sorry. Well, I'll give, I'll, no, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. I don't have time for that rabbit trail. We've bought the lie of, of romanticism. We romanticize everything. 
And so we think if I don't feel it and I do it, I'm not being true to myself. I'm not being genuine. I have to, I have to feel it uh, so deep in my heart for it to be real and genuine. That's not the picture that the Bible talks about for love, for obedience, for being in relationship. It's not the highest value. Feeling it is not the highest value. It's not. It's not at all. But we've bought into this lie. We've, we've, we all have this Disney sort of fairy tale thing in our minds of, 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 you know, we just feel the right way all the time. Well, that's, that's not the human experience. The truth is that there's even more power in it when we don't feel like it. When we do what's right when we don't want to. When we praise God when we don't feel like it. It's even more powerful because it, it stops the enemy in his tracks. Who he is. That's number one. We praise God for who he is. Number two, we praise God for what he's done. For what he's done. The cross, redemption, the incarnation, the resurrection. For, for what he has done for us. Setting us free from sin, setting us free from bondage, setting us free from darkness, setting us free from death, setting us free from defeat. For what he has done, we praise him for what he's done. You can always think of something God's done for you. If you can't, just take a breath. You lived one more second. The Bible says, in him we live and move and have our being. If it weren't for God right now at this moment, sustaining you with his power, you would cease to exist. Your DNA would disintegrate into a billion pieces. But God right now holds you and your life and your world together by his power. So we praise him for who he is. We praise him for what he's done, number two. And number th three, we can praise him for what he is going to do. For what he is going to do. Amen. And in that we look to the resurrection. In that we look to the future hope that we have in Christ. As this mortal body decays and as this mortal body will one day be laid to rest. It's laid in rest not in defeat but in victory. Because Jesus overcame even death. And we have that hope in our heart that we too will be set free from the power of death as we are resurrected to new life with Jesus when he returns. Amen. So who he is, what he's done, what he's going to do. That means any time, any time I can praise the Lord. When I'm, when I'm down and depressed, yes. When I'm, when I'm feeling great and on top of the world, yes, I praise God. Praise God where you're at. Psalm 41.11 says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall praise him again, my salvation and my God. Listen, don't let the enemy discourage you. Praise God. In the midst of discouragements, praise God. In the midst of confusion, praise God. When you don't understand what's going on, praise God. Isaiah 61.3 says that we should put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. When we are down, when we are depressed, when, when, when things aren't going the way we wish they would go, we need to take our eyes off of our circumstances and put them on Jesus and begin to exalt him, begin to praise him, begin to magnify him. 
1 Samuel 30 verse 6 tells us the story of, of David and how everyone in the entire world that David knew had turned against him and wanted to kill him. But it says that David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Listen, it's really great when you have a Silas next to you that can encourage you. That's awesome. You guys can sing together. You can laugh together. You can pray together, even in the midst of discouraging times. Sometimes you don't even have a Silas, and that's where David was. But even though David didn't have someone with him in the flesh, God was with him always. And even if there's no one there right beside you, Jesus has promised to never leave you or forsake you. And so encourage yourself in the Lord your God. When you're feeling depressed, praise God. When you're feeling down, praise God. When you're feeling anxious, praise God. When you're worried about the future and this and that and this and that, stop and praise God. And if you will do that, I promise you, there will be a change. There will be a breakthrough. We see that with Paul and Silas. Now, I'm not promising that your circumstances are going to change. Paul and Silas' circumstances changed. But what I am promising you is if that you will praise God in the midst of whatever it is that you're in, maybe your circumstances will change, maybe they won't, but what will change is you will change. Your perspective will change. And, and the way you see what you're in will change. And if that changes, then everything changes. Amen. Finally, I want to look at the result. Look what happens. Salvation comes to this jailer's family. This jailer who, who I mean, th this guy says that he put Paul and Silas in the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. He wasn't told to do that. Nevertheless, he inflicts upon them a, an even more uh, intense punishment than the one he was ordered to do. So he, he's kind of got a sadistic streak about him. Nevertheless, he comes to salvation. Him and his whole family repent and turn to God. He falls on his knees and he says, what must I do to be saved? And they tell him, you must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Now imagine if Paul and Silas had had a different response. Imagine if they had let the external circumstances get inside of them and, and then become discouraged and then become down. And Silas say, I met, wish I never met you, Paul. I would have been happy hanging out back in Jerusalem still. And why is it that I joined you on this trip? And look what's happened to me. And my head's bleeding. My arms are broken. And man, as soon as we get out of this prison, if we ever get out of this prison, I'm, I'm heading back and I'll never see you again. Right? Imagine if that is what had been happening. I submit to you, they would have missed the opportunity that was right in front of them. That this whole circumstance was set up for this man to come to faith in Jesus. And that's a beautiful thing. And could it be, could it be that the situation and circumstance that you're in, the problems that you're facing the challenges that lay in front of you, the, the confusion, the things that you don't understand? Could it be that God is arranging situations and circumstances to bring somebody to salvation? Could it be? Yes, I believe it can be. But we must be ready. 
We must not be discouraged. We must know that God is sovereign. He's moving all things according to his will and to his plan. And so we will be ready when that time comes. Paul and Silas, when the doors flung open, they didn't bolt. They didn't escape. They didn't go running out. They stayed to minister to the jailer who had tortured them. We need to be ready. We need to be looking around. Listen, this world is so broken. People are in need everywhere we are. People are hurting so much. People are being shaken to their very cores right now. And what the world needs is the church to be ready. To be ready. Not to jump onto some you know, bandwagon about politics, which we're always ready to do. But to jump on and to share the hope that we have in Christ. To hope the, the hope that we have in Christ. Repent. And believe in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. In conclusion today, I want to show you from from these stories, Lydia, this slave girl, and then the jailer and his family. These people are from all different walks of life. Lydia from the highest echelons of society. Fashion sense, businesswoman, wealthy. This jailer is a blue-collar worker, probably working week to week. He's not from any, he doesn't hang out with the, the, the who's who. He hangs out with the, the, the worst of the worst. The gospel is for everyone. We need to get this in our head. Everyone needs Jesus. Everyone. Everyone needs Jesus. From the, the high society businesswoman to the blue collar jailer. Rich and poor, young and old, black and white, from the other side of the tracks, educated, uneducated, intelligent, stupid, Republican and Democrat, man and woman, everyone needs Jesus. Everyone needs Jesus. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. All have sinned. And only Jesus Christ has paid the price for our sin. Only Jesus has taken our sin upon himself. Only Jesus went to the cross and willingly exchanged his life of sinless perfection for our life of sin and defeat. Only Jesus offers salvation, forgiveness of sins as a gift of grace to all who would have faith in him. All have sinned, therefore all need Jesus. You need Jesus. Amen? We need Jesus. We have all sinned. Jesus is our only hope.